0: Now, this is to announce that this is number one of a new series of studies, which is entitled Accepted and Accepted. And as we generally read a portion of Scripture together, and this portion is the first chapter of the letter to the Colossians, those who are listening on the tape, will they just turn off while we read this portion together? Colossians chapter 1. This evening I wanted to start a study particularly of the section covered by Colossians chapter 1 verses 12 to 22 which you will see I have given the double title Accepted and Access The word accepted I've used instead of the word made meat uh, but it's very parallel although it's not the same word. Uh, we first of all must be made meat for the inheritance before we can ever think of access into that holy presence. But this evening we'll make a little introductory word because there's such a similarity in some parts between this epistle and the epistle to the Ephesians. (coughs) If you uh, notice, the epistle to the Ephesians opens with a statement, a revelation, of a new calling. Then it follows, now seeing that this is true, uh, I pray for you, that you may know the hope of this calling, and so on. But Colossians goes the other way around. It gives you, first of all, a prayer and leads up to a similar declaration of the high calling which we have in Christ. And I think this is worthwhile noticing. You see, we are not all built the same way. And certainly it's not a part of God's will that we should all be follow the leader in a wrong sense. You you get a devotion book uh, to help God's people in their private study and meditation. And one will say that what you must do is first of all to read a portion of scripture. Then your mind will already be pointing in a certain direction and your prayers will follow and they will be more valid. But if you had another book on devotional studies, it would suggest to you that before you open the Bible and start reading it, you ought to pray for grace, to remember what you're doing. Well, what are you to do? Well, says the Apostle, you take your choice, Ephesians puts it one way round, tells you the truth, then prays for you, and Colossians prays, first of all, then tells you the truth. So if you don't find one works, try the other. And possibly they, they, uh, they fit different trains of mind, different times, different reasons why. Sometimes the only prayer that you can utter is to call upon the name of the Father and realize that He doesn't bear that name as an empty title. And sometimes you find you could talk with Him. And then if you've got the word in your heart and mind you'll walk along with him in regard to his revealed truth. And so we won't bind ourselves. We'll just notice that Ephesians 1 gives us the charter of the church. You know all that before. Blessed be uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. And then the praise that they may have they seeing that they have this faith and this hope and he prays about them. And then in Colossians, it's the other way around. Well, now we get also a good deal of the same ground covered in Colossians that we find in Ephesians. But in Ephesians, it's rather expanded. But Colossians, it's condensed because the great central section of Colossians departs from revealing the truth of the mystery to enter into a solemn warning concerning certain lines of teaching that were particularly manifesting themselves at Colossi and which were uh, partly preparing for what uh, later on became a heresy. And all the emphasis that the Apostle puts upon the fact that Christ is the image of the invisible God, and that in all things he has preeminence, that whether they be principalities or powers or thrones or dominions, well, these people were making all these into little lesser gods and steps up and I don't know what. So that while I'm not attempting to tell you what the heresy was, Partly, of course, I don't know much about it myself, thank God. Uh, I'm telling you that there's no mere, vain repetition. The Apostle didn't hesitate to write two epistles about the same period to two different churches and go over the same ground, uh, but not merely a mere repetition, but looking at it from different angles. And that's what we are trying to do. Well, then, the next thing is, we find that um, there is a great balance. One of the characteristic facts of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, the Philippians, and the Colossians, is that he uses the word worthy. Twice it occurs in the English, once it is disguised. Ephesians puts it in the middle of every epistle. Now, having given you three chapters, of this wonderful revelation. I'm now going to give you three chapters of equally wonderful, balancing, corresponding walk. I now pray that you may walk worthy. But he doesn't leave it to the middle of Colossians to say that in this this epistle. He embeds it in the prayer that we have in the first few verses. Walk worthy of the Lord, unto all pleasing, And in Philippians, you won't find the word worthy in our version, but it's there, just the same word, when it says, as becometh saints. Worthy of being saints. So you see, here we have something to remember when occasionally a person who doesn't understand us says we're all so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, We've got this idea of heavenly places and spiritual blessings to such an extent that they're not practical. Well, the Apostle has given us a word and says, all truth must be put into the balances. All doctrine and no practice is not pleasing to God. And all attempt at practice without doctrine is just impossible. For practice can only be an outgrowth of what you are, of what God intends you to be, so the doctrine and the practice walk together. So perhaps you would turn, just to get this a little bit more in mind, to Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 12, and then look at chapter 3. Colossians 1 first of all, where we have This prayer, which is going to occupy our attention in a moment or two. Chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. That's his prayer. And he goes on to give thanks which introduces the fact of being made neat. Well, now, the balancing passage to that is chapter 3, 16, where you find this is being echoed in the question of practice. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, you see the words, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then it goes on right through to chapter 4, verse 1. So that there is a stress in both of these epistles that this high calling this wonderful spiritual truth can be brought right home to husbands and wives and parents and children and servants and masters. So that in a sense uh, it practically covers the whole of one's experimental life. Or then with regard to the actual prayer itself you will notice on the uh, little chart that you have with you with this uh, this uh, study, that I've set out the prayer. First of all, the object in verse 9. is prayer is that you might be filled. And this is one of the key words of these great epistles. Filled. Uh, and later on, it brings it to another issue, verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. No half measures about the desires of this man, that you may be filled, and that you may be presented perfect, and that you may be complete. So we have the object, You will notice the word hina, H-I-N-A. Well, don't be stumbled over that. It's a little word which is of very great importance and it means this is the object we have in view. My prayer is with this object that you may be filled. And then at the verse 12, he says, and this is where I wanted to end. Now, what a wonderful thought with joy. Don't let's think that because holiness and righteousness and the forgiveness of sins and all that has to do with the gospel deals with such solemn and sad issues as sin and its wages, death and so on. God expects us to enter into the joy of his great salvation. And we are not commending the truth if we never reach this. So here we have the object and there we have the goal. Well now you will notice that there are still little words N and ice. These prepositions N is very often mostly translated in but it has the force of the means in which the way in which you are reaching a goal, in. And ice is nearly always translated into or unto. That's the most, mostly. So that is the goal. So here we have three steps with three sort of stages. Let's look at it. That you may be filled. What will? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Well, that's a big order, isn't it? Here's something to pray for. Surely not one of us can say we are so completely convinced, we are so completely equipped that we don't need to ask God daily that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. spiritual understanding, possibly, is a little different from mere book knowledge. You can hear people speak and they can tell you a tremendous amount of information, but that may not come from above. Spiritual understanding. Now, this is to lead you to an end, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. So that you see you don't walk with your feet only, you walk with your intelligence, with wisdom, with understanding. If I attempted to walk in the condition I know I am physically, and didn't use me head, I should soon be reminded. You see. And so with regard to spiritual things. You cannot walk unto all pleasing unless you have wisdom from above. And here's the prayer. Well now that leads on to a very practical issue. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Being fruitful in every good work. Again, there's such an emphasis in the witness of the Apostle Paul on salvation by grace that unless you keep a balance you can leave the idea that any good work is something that God abominates. We get the epistle to the Ephesians and it says to us by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works. Lest any man should boast, full stop, shut your book. But if you go on and don't shut the book, it says that you walk in those good works that God has before ordained that you should. God is not antagonistic to good works. The antagonism is to try to buy your salvation by your good works. But no, he says. No. First of all, you must have the root. And that's the gift of God. Then you have the fruit. That's the result of growth. That's what you expect in the ordinary course of nature. So he says here, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Do you see a connection there that you can hinder your knowledge of God by failure to have these good works, they have their place. After you reach reached a certain stage, if it doesn't influence your life and your attitude to one another, if you are not in this condition of being fruitful in good works, then you startify yourself. But if you've gone to that first step, then you find it is expanding, increasing increasing in the knowledge of God. Because, you see, to have an increase of knowledge without a corresponding walk that's worthy might make an awful person of you. Uh, You would be intolerable, uh, but it keeps you in your right attitude of mind as you grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And then we have Something to encourage us further, strengthened with all might. What words are here? Now in Ephesians, he prays that where they know what is the greatness of the power that raised Christ from the dead that is at our disposal. Nothing short of that, friends, God is giving us here. So we have Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power. Not merely power, but glorious power. For the raising of Christ from the dead was an exhibition of God's glorious power. And so we may partake of that. Unto all patience, with long suffering, and long suffering with joyfulness. Do you notice that after we've climbed this ladder and had all these wonderful thoughts it ends up on a very simple note. All patience. I don't know how you feel about it but sometimes the lack of patience on the part of you or me may spoil any amount of witness we give either by the written page or the spoken word Patience is what the Apostle picks out as one of the first marks of being an Apostle. Now, I shouldn't have done that, would you? But he says, patience, the signs I've given you. Let patience have its perfecting in works, says James. Patience. You've heard of the patience of Job and you've seen the end of the Lord. Of course, Job wasn't perfect. And I remember once saying to a lady and upset her rather badly at first, I said, have you heard of the impatience of Job? Oh no, I said, well he cursed the day he was born. I haven't done that yet. But patience is not to be just relegated as a a side issue. It's very, very important. And the word patience, when you look at it in the original, means to be willing, to take a back seat, to remain under. You see, we've got such a high calling that it's good for us sometimes to be put in the lower seat to make a balance. But it doesn't mean to say we've got to be patient with long-suffering and make everybody else long-suffering. You see, love suffers long says one briefly. And he's kind. There are some folks who suffer long, but they go out of their way to make you suffer long as well so that you don't get let off. But this isn't so. Long suffering with joyfulness. That leads us to this passage which we hope will be a help to us, which starts at verse 12. First of all, we are made meat. That's where we start. And you notice it's a finished work we're dealing with. He hath made us meat, Whatever that means. Whatever it implies. However full it is. He's done it. He hath made us meat. We, d- we move a stage further and it says who hath delivered us. He has done it. Isn't it a wonderful thought to think that in this world, dominated as it is by sin and by evil, with all the threats that are developing around us, both physically and socially and nationally, that we have been delivered from the authority of darkness. We once were held in his thrall. But not now. He has done so. We are already his children and under his care. He's, it says not only so, but he has translated us. So uh, I don't suggest you put this on your letter heading, but you can all, if you belong to this company, you can all have a second name, Enoch. Enoch. I don't know whether you want to be called Enoch. I don't know what it sounds like. Charles Enoch Welsh. I don't know. But every one of us that belong to this calling have been translated. And it says about Enoch that they couldn't find him. But he was not. And so Colossians says, why? As though living in this world are you subject to ordinances. Would you say, I am living in this world. In one sense you are, but not Enoch you're not, you're gone. You on to another world. You come under another system of laws. You walk with God. It says of Enoch that he walked with God and pleased God and God took him. He says, Here I pray that you may walk worthy of the Lord and to all pleasing. You're a translated person. So you see, it helps us sometimes to throw back to these earlier, typical uh, passages. And then, after a wonderful piece which emphasises the place of Christ in the scheme of things, the fullness in him, we have, in verse 20, he has made peace. Not that he will make peace, he's done it. He Having made peace, by the blood of his cross. Uh, one that I've missed out, which I ought not to have done, was verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption. Now, you know, there's a certain attitude of mind amongst other God's people that say it was all very well in primitive times for people like the people of Israel to have to offer sacrifices and shed blood. But we are beyond that now. And they cease to preach it. And they cease to believe it. But there's one thing that you might notice if you've never noticed it before. You take the whole of the Bible and it falls into seven groups, naturally. The law, the prophets, the Psalms, and that covers like the poetic books, the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Now, our Saviour endorsed those three, the Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, the Historic Book, and the Epistles. Or, if you say the Gospels and the Acts, the Epistles, and the Book of the Revelation. Now, every one of those books stresses the fact which is summed up by the Apostle writing to the Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Whatever our feelings may be about it, sin in the sight of God is so abhorrent that he spared not his only Son. And he didn't merely come and live a wondrous life on our account. He came with one purpose, a body as thou prepared me, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. And that body was offered a spotless sacrifice that God may have a righteous ground to stand upon in which without compromising his holiness he can snatch you and me from destruction. So, right embedded in Ephesians 1, We've only got to read a few verses in whom we have redemption through his blood. In the epistle to the Colossians we have it here again. We have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. And then we have further down verse 20 we have peace and then we also have this wonderful reconciliation That brings us to the close of this uh, section where it reads in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now Ephesians says that you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world that that you should be holy and without blame. Colossians says that the finished work of Christ makes that all gloriously true. Ephesians puts it at the beginning and Colossians puts it at the end. What the will of God was before the foundation of the world is accomplished by Christ. And so we bring that to a conclusion. But if you turn to the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 5, you will find that he has got the word presentation there, uh, but he's postponed it. He says it in a different way. And we shall, we shall benefit by seeing what that different uh, form of expression is. It comes to in a very extraordinary context. It's t- t- telling the relationship of husband and wife. It says in verse 25, husbands, Love your wives? Well, you may say you don't want a Bible to tell a husband to love his wife. as opposed supposed to fall in love and then you get married. Oh, but he doesn't say that, friends. We haven't read far enough. How many husbands are listening to thee now, I wonder? Who could put their hand on their heart and say, now that's true of me? But you say, what do you say? You must be an awful person yourself. Well, I haven't finished reading, have I? Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I think that's a bit more than natural love, don't you? There wouldn't be many divorce cases, would there? There wouldn't be many broken homes if everybody knew the glorious truth embedded in these epistles. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself, now he goes on, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church. So we have in Colossians we're going to be presented. In Ephesians we're going to be presented. What a day that will be. What a climax that will be to be taken by the hand and presented by our Redeemer to the Father. It boggles the imagination as how it's going to be, and what it'll be like, but it's there. Well, let's finish it, because he says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. Isn't that wonderful? Wrinkle. Ladies are more concerned about wrinkles than the men, usually. He says, well, look after that. No wrinkles. No wrinkles. This is beauty, friends. This is beauty treatment in the true sense of the word. What a presentation that will be when this turns out to be fat, Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. So we've had now before us, just in outline only, the um, emphasis upon this um, fact that we start with being made meet, we end with presentation. Ephesians takes another aspect. It says we have been made accepted in the Beloved, chapter 1. We have access in chapter 2 of presentation in chapter 5. So while it approaches it from different angles it's still saying the same blessed thing. What a poverty stricken gospel is preached by some folks. And occasionally when you listen on the wireless to conversations conducted by folks who've got letters after their names and degrees and professorships and are called reverend, you'll wonder where on earth they get it. The one thing that never seems to enter into it is the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ, the one who gave himself for our sins to rid us and present us ultimately before God. They talk about Christian walk and a Christian way and whether you should have this ordinance or whether you shouldn't have that and whether you can drop this and whether you believe that. But Friends, we are right down on the foundations here. And although every one of you who are listening to me, you know it already, I hope you'll be glad for us to be able to go into it again and yet again. Because the Apostle didn't hesitate. In Ephesians he went over the ground. He went over the same ground in Colossians. And in the epistle to the Philippians, if he didn't say, to write the same things for thee is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. So he says it three times over that I've got to emphasise certain things. And what comes out in this is that Christ is all and in all, and there's no possibility of blessing, no presentation before the Father, no redemption, no forgiveness apart from that blessed One who we own as Saviour. And Lord, Well, I'm very conscious that I've got some way to go here, friends, before I can hope to satisfy you with regard to these tape recordings. Uh, but uh, where I fail, I'm sure the Lord will supplement it. I finish by giving you just five references where we have this emphasis upon the word to fill. Colossians one nine one nine that you may be filled. Colossians one twenty five, when it is to complete the Word of God, that's to fill it up. Fill it up. And we have you are filled to the foot in Him and chapter four, verse twelve and chapter four, thirty seven, we have to stand perfect. complete and finally in ministry. But I should have to stop now so that I don't overdo it and I pray that as my day, so my strength may be, that we should have the joy of meeting together for some time yet with this wonderful book as our basis and the opening up of it as our ministry. Thank you so much for your patience and your four forget.